0: But we're going to go as far as we can today and see how much of this book we can cover. I I can tell you that um, there is one verse of Scripture that I just have a feeling when I get there. We may be there for a while uh, because it it is extremely profound. And yet I don't know that I've ever heard anybody preach on this verse of Scripture. I, in all of my years of living for God, and I've been living for God now for 41 years. And I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on verse of scripture we're going to deal with in a few moments. Uh, but it is so profound. And I think somebody needs to put together a sermon on it. Praise God. Somebody needs to preach on it. So Matthew 23, we will start with verse 1 just Uh, by way of a text Matthew 23 verse 1 then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses seat all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe that observe and do Uh, you know this is is another one of those verses that just doesn't get preached a whole lot because everybody wants to run the Pharisees down everybody wants to You know, Pharisee almost becomes a cuss word. Well, you're a Pharisee. The worst possible thing you can call a Christian is a Pharisee. You're a Pharisee. But it's interesting that Jesus said, whatever the Pharisees tell you to do, do it. Did he say that or didn't he? Is that in your Bible? Whatsoever they bid you observe that observe and do so but he says don't do after their works because they say and do not in other words they don't practice what they preach but nevertheless what they preach is true and i expect you to practice it whether they practice it or not i still expect you to practice that's what jesus said like it or don't like it that's what he said Hallelujah. Ah, verse four, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. We talked about this, I think, in last week's lesson that really another way to say this is they won't lift a finger to help. They want to make big requirements out of everyone else, but they won't lift a finger to help you in getting it done and then verse 5 but all their works they do for to be seen of men And that's their motive even the good works that they do accomplish they're not doing it because they love God they're doing it because they want somebody to be impressed with them and uh, there's a lot of that that goes on in apostolic Pentecostal churches as well In fact, there's a whole lot of worship that really is not worship of God so much as it is a show for everyone else. Well, are you going to help me this morning? You know, you're out in the world and you get ready for a fight, you roll up your sleeves. You're in the church and the pastor's ready to really do some pastor, and He takes off his coat. That's the sign that... I'm getting ready to do some spiritual fighting, all right? So so just prepare yourself. Praise God. I'm feeling some things here this morning. And I'm telling you, it's a dangerous place and a trap into which we can fall. That what we're doing, we're not doing it because we love God. But we're doing it to impress someone else. God's still looking for people that will serve him out of love. Well, praise God. All their works they do for to be seen a men. They make broad their phylacteries. They enlarge the border of their garments. And on he goes, and we can read more. But um, Jesus is addressing the principles of what they teach are correct. Their practice is what is incorrect. For two reasons. Number one, they don't live what they tell you to live. And number two, what they do live They do it for the wrong motive. But the principle they teach is right. And so regardless of the messenger, if the message is right, you live it. So that's, again, and I know you're standing, but that's one of the devil's biggest traps. Is to get you to find fault with the messenger and therefore discount the message. but it doesn't matter the messenger. I can take you to places in the scripture where the man was as far from God as he could possibly be, but what he said was right. Hallelujah. Balaam was intent to prophesy against Israel, but every time he opened his mouth, true prophecy came out. God used him. His heart wasn't right, but God used him. The high priest got up and prophesied, and he was as far from God as anybody could possibly be, but the Bible says he prophesied that one man's going to give his life for all. Well, help us, Jesus. And so I think this is about Part 47 of our study of the book of Matthew. Uh, As we pray today, I do have a couple of special requests I want us to take to the Lord. Brother uh, Weems was telling me his father has got some major health issues going on right now. And we really need to touch God, ask God to to do a work for this man in his life. And uh, so let's pray for Brother Weems' dad. And then also Andrea has Morgan right now down at the emergency room. Um, some problems going on there. We're not sure exactly what's wrong, but anyhow, so uh, we need God to touch Morgan right now, too. If you have a special need, why don't you slip your hand up and let's, let's just take all of these needs to the Lord. Let's everybody talk to the Lord right now. Can we do that? Jesus We give you praise in Jesus' name. Let's worship the Lord, everybody. Let's worship the Lord. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Just a, a, a brief, brief review. Um of the things that we have covered uh, with regard to the book of Matthew and where we are right now in this study. We have, we have stressed to you uh, throughout this process that I think has now been about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half that we've been in the book of Matthew in uh, studying uh, this gospel. Uh, but we have pointed out to you repeatedly that Matthew's writings are specifically geared toward the Jewish mind. Matthew uh, has a goal. He has uh, a destination he is trying to uh, arrive at, and that is to prove to his Jewish brethren that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And so he makes repeated reference uh, to the Old Testament. He uh, continually quotes from the Jewish scriptures to show, and you'll see it time and again in his book, uh, him saying things like that it might be fulfilled, uh, which was written by the prophet, uh, other phrases and terms just like that, so that he can show them that Jesus was their promised king. Uh, Where we are right now in this book is we are in the final days of Jesus' life on earth. Matthew uh, chapter 21 uh, marked the beginning of what has been called the Passion Week. Uh, it is the beginning of the end, if you please, in the life of Jesus Christ. Um Chapter twenty-one begins uh, a week before the resurrection. Chapter twenty-eight opens with the story of the resurrection. So uh, you you kind of see where these last eight chapters of the book of Matthew uh, puts us. And 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 I've stressed before. You think about it. There are twenty chapters uh, that deal with more than thirty years of Jesus' life. Twenty chapters dealing with more than 30 years. So that's, you know, that's, that's covering uh, a lot of territory there uh, in a little bit of time. But then, beginning with chapter 21, these last eight chapters cover just seven days. So it really slows down. I mean, it brings it to a screeching halt to focus on the most important week in the history of mankind and that it is the most important week in the history of man mankind so in chapter uh chapters 21 through 28 uh, we know these are jesus last words before he is put to death uh, and in fact as you look at Chapters 23, where we are now, chapters 23, 24, 25, these three chapters are really just um, a collection of Jesus' final sermons and lessons uh, in those closing moments of his life. He knows it's about over. And so these are the last things that he wants to make sure his followers understand. Uh, They carry uh, so much significance and so much importance. I cannot stress to you enough how important these three chapters are Uh, in chapters 23, 24, and 25 as he teaches. In fact, if you have your bible open you can just kind of thumb through it and look at just just look at i'm not asking you to read but just look at chapters 23 24 and 25 and see how much of that is in red letter do you see that this is just jesus teaching And he teaches a lot of things. He's he's dealing in chapter 23 with the the, the problems with the Pharisees. Now, Now, please listen to me. Why in Jesus' closing moments is he taking this much time, one entire chapter that is devoted to this, why is he taking so much time to deal with the Pharisees? I mean, think about it. Don't you think that he's trying to warn everyone else that is going to follow him down through the ages? Don't get caught up in this same trap. Why else would he spend so much time? I mean, look, these guys are hypocrites. Why not just forget them and move on? To me, there's a very obvious reason. It's because he doesn't want us following in their footsteps. He doesn't want us to be guilty of just following the letter of the law and never getting the spirit of it. Look, that's what Pentecost was all about, was giving us the spirit of the law. The Jews had had the letter of the law for centuries. But Jesus wants a people that are living for him based on what is written on the tables of their hearts, not on the tables of stone. And so he dedicates. I mean, we've got three chapters of his teaching just before he dies. In fact, when we pick up in, in chapter 26, uh, what, what happens, this is the first time we find any story going on again. You follow me? We've been reading about his life, all the things that happened. He goes here, he goes there. He comes into this town. He heals this individual. And, 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 and we've been reading all of this story. And then all of a sudden the story stop. We get three chapters of sermons. And the next story that picks up is the Last Supper, the night of his betrayal. Okay? So here's where we are. Three chapters of teaching. And one entire chapter dedicated to the hypocrites. Now, interestingly enough, chapters 24 and 25 really deal with the last days and when he returns and preparing for his return. So so let's think about it, church. What he feels most important, because he knows he's about to be crucified, He knows he's about to be taken. And what he feels is most important for him to convey. Chapters 24 and 25, I'm going to talk to you about the signs of my return so you can be prepared. I'm going to talk to you about what will happen in those last days. He talks to us in chapter 25 about the ten virgins. Everybody falls asleep. Just before the bridegroom comes, are you with me? 24, 25, all about his return, preparing for his return, making sure you're ready for his return. And the only other thing he's going to address is, don't be a hypocrite. Now, obviously, this is a major matter in the mind of the master. Well, hallelujah. And so that's that's what he deals with, and we... We haven't made it very far in our study. In fact, uh, we've only covered the first five verses of this chapter. And and he, as as we pointed out in our text, he commands his followers to obey the message in spite of the messenger. But he goes on to deal with the problems of these messengers. I want you to obey what they teach, but I don't want you to live like they live. And the reason why he doesn't want us to live like they live is because their motives are wrong. They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. They wanna please men. They're not interested in pleasing God. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I cannot stress it enough that there is a danger even in conservative apostolic churches. Listen to me, saints of God. I appreciate the fact that I know that the majority of this church is behind me. The majority of this church is with me. The majority of this church loves me and my family. I know that, and I appreciate that. But I'm going to tell you where the danger is. If you're not careful, you can love the pastor more than you love God. and I want you to love the pastor. But I'm gonna tell you this, if you'll fall in love with God, you won't have a problem with your pastor. Well, hallelujah. You know, one of the things that those men in Zimbabwe told me before we left, that last day when I was meeting with them, they, 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 you know, pastor pastor Simon Masandu pointed his finger at me and and and, and told me uh, began to talk to me about he said you are the man that brought truth to us you are the man who taught us how to live how to preach you're the one that set our doctrine straight he said i want you to know that whoever you send to us we will receive them in your name now that's a profound statement that's why I tell you when you fall in love with Jesus, whoever Jesus sends to you, you're going to love them as well. But I am telling you there are a lot of people that fall in love with the pastor. They fall in love with the church and never fall in love with God I don't know how far we're going to get today. I'm going to do what I feel today. and I'm going to tell you. You want to know how you know if you love the pastor and love the church more than you love God? Let me tell you. Check your prayer life. There are people that are faithful to every service, but they never pray. They never pick up their Bibles outside of church and read it. Well... They're not really telling anybody else. They're not inviting anybody. They're not reaching out for the lost. Oh, they're in church and they're paying their tithes and they're living the standard. You know what that tells me? You love the pastor. You love the church. But you don't love God. Hallelujah. And this is a danger. It's a danger. It's one of the things Jesus warned about. Look, I mean, we can go, this is not in my notes, but we can go uh, to, to the book of Revelation and see where the Lord writes. To the church at Ephesus. And, and as he begins to, to describe, and maybe, maybe we ought to take a moment to do that. I, I know I'm way, way off base of what my notes are telling me, but that's irrelevant at this point. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. But 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 the things that Jesus says. To the church in Ephesus, uh, it's, it's Revelation chapter 2. Just go ahead and start with verse 1. I'm, I'm not going to try to find the verse I want. We'll just read the whole thing because it is it is imperative that you understand what the Lord said about Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2.
1: And to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, uh-huh. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. Who walketh in the midst of the seven gold candlesticks? Uh-huh. I know that works. All right, now listen. He said, "I know that works." And thy labor?
0: I know your labor.
1: And thy patience? I know your patience. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil? You don't tolerate sin. It's great.
0: This is great. You work.
1: And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. Well, you,
0: you, they, they, they say and they're apostles the right. and they're not. You don't tolerate false doctrine. Mm-hmm. Hey, these are good things he's saying. I mean, that's quite a, quite a commendation to give a church. You agree? Yes, sir. Hello? Amen. Is everybody out there? Yes, sir. Quite a commendation to give the church. You work, you're patient, you hate sin, you don't tolerate false doctrine. Read.
1: And has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Look, you've gone through
0: trials, you've gone through tribulations and you stand the test and you remain faithful. This is great.
1: Read. Read. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Please understand this.
0: Everything they did was right. I'm telling you, if you strictly were going to preach by observation, you walk into the church, the standards are right, the people look right, they're dressing right, they're doing right, Everything on the surface is exactly what it's supposed to be. But the problem is what's beneath the surface. You're doing it. But you don't love me. I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. It has become mechanical. Mechanical. We just do this. We're doing what's right because it's right. Well, you know, you have gotta do what's right. But you need to be doing what's right because you love God, because you want to make God happy. You wanna please God. I don't know if I'm getting through today or not, but I sure feel this. I feel like God is trying to speak to us, New Life Pentecostal Church. It is not enough that we're meeting the standard. It's not enough that we come to church. It's not enough that we pay our tithes. Those things are important. Yay, they are essential. But I'm going to tell you, it needs to be done because we are deeply, in love with the master. It is our love for God that keeps us doing right. I love him. I love him. That's why I dress the way I do. That's why I come to church. That's why I pray. That's why I reach out for the lost. It's because I love him. Not because the preacher's gonna preach to me if I don't. I love God. I'm doing this out of love. Hear me. When we've got to stay on you about pre-service prayer, there's a love problem. There's a love problem. You know, spent 10 days in Israel, spent a week in Panama, spent 10 days traveling and Visiting Zimbabwe. And, and I'll tell you, I was always thrilled to be back on American soil. Um, got back from Israel. I was, I was glad to be back in America. Got back from Panama, glad to be back in America. Got back from Zimbabwe. There was something else that was more important to me than the fact that I was back in America. Because you see, that trip was different than the first two. Because the person I love was not with me in Africa. And can I tell you that when I got back here, I didn't care what kind of soil I was on. There was somebody I love that I hadn't seen in 10 days. And I wanted to see her. I wanted to be in her presence. Nobody, nobody to stand in that airport and say, you know, you really need to go see your wife. Nobody had to say that. I couldn't wait to see her. I found every opportunity I could while I was there to talk to her. I found ways to communicate with her. Why? Because somebody made me? Because somebody's going to get up and preach to me if I don't? No, I wanted to talk to her because I love her. And I'm telling you, when somebody's got to drive you to pray, there's a love problem. There's a love problem. You want to talk to somebody you love. You know, young people don't don't have a clue. They they don't have a clue what us old timers had to go through. They don't have a clue. That's right, Sister Eve. They don't have a clue what it was like. You know, they got FaceTime and, and, you know, cell phones. They, They don't know what it was like. They don't understand. So, get ready for grandpa to just school you a little bit, all right? When I was dating in the Stone Age, we had a thing called long distance charges. You didn't just pick up a cell phone and call, because there were no cell phones. fact, you know, my grandpa probably could school me a little bit. You know, things were a lot different for him. And my dad, things were different for him. I actually remember, and I know this is a term some of you have never heard before, but I remember as a boy having a party line. Anybody ever heard of that? Yeah, a few of you. Some of you older ones have heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Now, now Brother Mills raised his hand. He's heard of it. I, I doubt you ever had one, but you've heard of it. All right, all right, all right. So, uh, but, but we actually had one. And see, party lines, that, that's an interesting thing, see, because we had, we had a telephone at our house, but you'd have to pick it up and listen and see if some other neighbor was using the phone because they had several homes that were connected to the same phone line. And, and if somebody was calling you, there'd be maybe two short rings and one long ring, and you had to listen for the particular ring to know if that call was coming to your house or the neighbor's house. I know this is ancient. You, you all think this is really wild stuff, but that's the way it used to be. And, and, I'm, and I didn't have a party line when I was dating, but, but I will tell you, it was expensive. It was expensive to pick up the phone and call my wife. She lived three and a half hours away. And the other thing was, you didn't just pick up the phone and call because then you're going to pay for a long-distance call and you don't know if they're there. And, and then you might just be wasting money to make a phone call when you don't even know if they're going to be... Somebody's going to answer that phone... You know, that was one reason why a lot of folks hated it when they created this thing that you all don't know about this device either, but it was called an answering machine. Well, this is really ancient stuff, isn't it? But, you know, they used to have little tapes you'd put in there, and, 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 and a lot of folks thought that was just a wonderful device when it was created, but people that were having to pay long-distance charges hated them because the minute they answered that phone, you start getting charged for the phone call. And you, you have to leave a message on an answer machine. You just paid for a long-distance call to a machine. So, so it was a different time back then. And so we lived three and a half hours apart, and I was working a job, and I worked Monday through Friday. And, and, and let me tell you what I did. I loved her. I wanted to communicate with her and the only form of communication we had, this is before email, this is before Al Gore invented the internet. We we had to get a pen and a piece of paper and write a letter. And every day, every day, I wrote her a letter. Every day. I wrote a letter and put it in the mailbox. Every day. You know why? Nobody was telling me I had to do that. Nobody was making me do that. No preacher was getting up and preaching to me. You're going to marry this girl. You better write her a letter every day. Nobody did that. Nobody told me to do that. I never heard anybody do it. I never heard my parents talk about doing it. I'm just telling you, I loved that girl. And I wanted to communicate with her. And nobody had to force me to communicate. I sat down and wrote every day. Now, the mail system being what it is and what it always has been, or has not been. There were some days she didn't get the letter that day. Some days she'd get two letters. But without fail, she was at the post office every day. I know that, again, that's kind of a different thing too. You know, they, they actually had post office boxes. You had to go to the post office and get your mail. You know, this. I know I'm really making myself sound old, but this is just the way it was. But every day she would go and check that mailbox and she'd see if there was a letter there from me. And we had it set up every Friday. I don't remember now what time it was, that's been 33 years ago. But every Friday at a certain time, I would call her house. She knew that call was coming. I had told her in the letter and she'd be sitting there at the phone waiting for my call to come in nobody made me do that I did that because I loved her and I'm telling you nobody has to stay on me about prayer because I love to talk to him and I love for him to talk to me I love the sound of his voice you know I'm checking his letters every day Is there something you want to tell me today? Is there something you want to share with me today? I I, I want to read your letters. You know what she told me? There were times she'd read that letter over and over again. Same letter. The words never changed, but it never became boring to her because she knew it was written in love. Love. One of those pastors in Zimbabwe sent me a note the other day. Just broke my heart, and uh, he said, "He said when I read your letters, he said sometimes I just fall to my knees and thank God that God sent us a man that cares about us." He said, "I read them over and over again. And we have our Bible sitting on our shelf." And never take the time to really get it down and see what God wants to say to us today. There's a love problem, church. There's a love problem. There's a love problem. Can I tell you, when I got around my friends, they got tired of talking to me. Because they always heard the same thing over and over. My pastor, Brother Mills' grandpa, used to always tell us, he said, oh, he said, when a young man falls in love, he ain't worth nothing. He needs to just go ahead and get married and forget it because he ain't worth nothing. Can't get anything out of him. He don't want to do any work. He all he wants to do is sit around and talk about who he's in love with and can't get anything done. You probably heard him say that before. Yeah, that was... That was what the elder would say. Something about being in love. Friends didn't want to be around me anymore because they just got tired of hearing me talk about her, but you just don't understand. This, this is the most beautiful woman I've ever laid eyes on. This is, this is the sweetest woman that's ever come into my life. I, it's the greatest thing I've ever experienced before, and, and i got to talk about it. Because I was in love. Nobody's going to hammer you about outreach when you're really in love. You know, I didn't care what they thought. I didn't care if they got tired of hearing her name. Can I get a witness? Has anybody else ever been in love before? Or am I the only one? I didn't care what my friends thought. Would you please shut up and talk about something else? No. I didn't care because I was in love. And, you know, I remember a day when I first received the Holy Ghost. As a young boy of 12, going to school, the only the only apostolic in my school my entire school and and this was a little country town when i received the holy ghost our school went from kindergarten through 12th grade one school i know again that's a foreign concept to you city folks but that was the way it was in the little town where i got the holy ghost and in all the way from kindergarten through 12th grade i was the only apostolic in the entire school I tell you my friends got tired of hearing about the Holy Ghost about what happened in church I had teachers that would ask me when I did book reports can't you read something besides a Christian book can't you read some history book can't you give a book report on something else no why should I this is what I love This is what I want to talk about because this is what I love. Hey, have, have you been on the job and heard them talk chiefs, 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 chiefs? I, I don't know why. I think the next time we have a outbreak of tornadoes, we probably ought to go to Arrowhead Stadium. Because I, I don't think there's been a touchdown there since. Anyhow. I don't even, I don't, I don't follow it. I don't even care. I just, I'm just talking, praise God. But I get sick of, I mean, they'll they'll buy a red car. They'll put flags on their windows, and they don't care what you think. And they'll get personalized license plate Chiefs fan. They'll wear the T-shirts. They'll wear the jerseys. They'll have... or or if it's the royals or whatever. They they don't care if you get tired of it. They, They don't even think about somebody might get tired of hearing it. You want to know why they're that way? They love it. They love it. You're going to talk about what you love. That's right. I've got men when I get around them, friends I get around them, I know what I'm going to hear about is bow hunting, the latest buck that they killed. I'm going to hear, because that's what they love. Or I'm going to hear them talk about the latest gun that they bought. Some of them I get around is it's it's pocket knives. People have got things they love and you just know when you get around them this is what you're going to hear. You know what you ought to be known for? Well, you get around those people, you're going to hear about Jesus. You get around them, you're going to hear about the Holy Ghost. You get around them, you're going to hear about what happened at church. You ought to be known for that because I'm going to tell you, you talk about what you love. You talk about what you love. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. How did I get into this? Well, this is all part of the introduction, and I've already gone past my time, and I hadn't even gotten to the next verse. Uh, I think this is a first. I've gotten one verse and didn't get any farther. In fact, we spent about three weeks, I think, on one verse one time, but I had never not gotten past the introduction, but I don't apologize. I feel like this is what God wanted today. I'm going to tell you, church, we've been hearing a lot of preaching of late. We've had a lot of men that God has sent by here, and there has been a common thread running through every message. I don't know if you've picked up on it, but God is speaking to this church. And God is calling this church to someplace deeper than what we have been. Now, that call's been going on for a long, long time, but it has become concentrated. It has become, it has become more fervent. It has become more obvious and more evident in the last few weeks than at any point in the 17 years that I've been here as pastor. I'm telling you, God is speaking directly And God's trying to shake us. And God's trying to wake us up. We are too comfortable in going through the routine and following, just doing it out of of mechanics. And God's saying, I'm looking for somebody that will just fall in love with me again. Somebody that'll do it because they love me. Ephesus. I don't have one bad thing to say about what you're doing. You're doing all the right things. What I do have against you is you just don't love me like you used to. You're still doing it. There's not an outward sign of a lack of love. I mean, you're not dressing like the world and talking like the world and you're not buying into false doctrine. You still have all of the makings and the trappings of a true conservative apostolic church. But the problem is it's hollow and the love that ought to be the purpose behind what you're doing is what's missing. You just don't love me. Like you used to love me. Musicians come, I've got to quit. I God's calling us church. Do you hear the voice? You know, when I was in Zimbabwe, one of the questions that came up as we're dealing with salvation, you know, they, they'd had their scriptures they'd always been taught to use. And and I told them, the Bible says nothing about accepting Christ. The Bible says nothing about making Christ your personal Savior. And And one of the men said, well, you know, in, in the book of Revelation, he said, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will hear my voice and open to me and let me come in to him, then I will sup with him and he with me. And he and, and said, we, we use that to, to preach to people about, you know, that he's knocking on your heart's door and you need to just open the door and let him. I said, wait, 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 wait. I want you to go back and look at that verse again. And I want you to see to whom it is addressed. The Bible says, and unto the angel of the what? Somebody said it. The church of Laodicea. Right. I said he wasn't writing to sinners. He wasn't telling sinners I'm outside your heart's door knocking and all you have to do is open the door and I come in. He wasn't saying that to sinners. He was saying that to saints they had reached a place they were having church without him he was on the outside they were on the inside I don't want to reach that place I don't want us having church without him I don't want us singing songs without him I don't want us playing instruments without him. I don't want us testifying without him. I don't want to preach without him. Is anybody hearing me today? I'm telling you, I don't want him on the outside. I want him to be the central focus of everything we're doing, and I want it to be done out of love. If you love him, I don't have to say, come on, worship, come on, worship, come on, worship, because if you love him, you're going to worship out of love. I don't have to say, let's pray, church, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. If you love him, if you love him, you're gonna pray. Somebody needs to reach out to the lost, you need to go out and invite somebody if you love him, you're going to talk about him whether they want to hear it or not if you love him. Let's stand and lift our hands right now. want to be like the Pharisees I I know I know I know they get a bad rap as though they were living terribly but it wasn't the life they were living that was the problem it was the love they loved the praise of men they did not love the praise of God they loved themselves They didn't love God. And if we're not careful, we apostolics can fall into that same routine. It's all about me. It's all about me. God, help us. Help us to fall in love with him again. Help us to fall in love Does anybody feel like praying today? Does anybody feel like kneeling before him and asking him to rekindle the flame? Or let that love burn bright in my heart one more time. Let that love burn bright in my heart one more time, God. Oh, rasha tayando lo Y carrabas lo borras.